This morning I want to uh, I want to help you to give a clear answer to this question and it's actually at the front of your outline. Are you safe from the wrath of God? Are you safe from the wrath of God? I'm not asking the person next to you. I'm not even thinking about your, your, your children or your, your spouse. I'm not even thinking about your mom. I'm not even thinking about friends at school. I'm not thinking about other people. You know, sometimes when we ask a question, we immediately think of someone else. Are they safe from the wrath of God? No, friend. This morning I'm asking you, are you personally safe from the wrath of God? And I'm asking this question because we are going through a look. And today we are in Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. Uh, this passage is just about that. It's a warning about the wrath of God. And, 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 and I'm not raising it for any reason today, except we have come to this passage. So if you come a week later, you might find it's a different topic, right? So if you had come last week, you'd have found Brother Ola speaking about the gospel itself, Right? Well, we are here because we are in Luke 3, verse 7 to 14. Last week, two weeks ago, we looked at verse 1 to 6. Uh, we saw that the people of Israel are living in dark times. Uh, they are being oppressed by foreign superpower um, whose names are given there at the beginning. The Roman Empire and, uh, and, and these many um, regional or, or provincial governors. And... And not only that, they are also under corrupt religious leaders. Anus and Cephas are leading the people religiously astray. That's a dark time they are in. It's, a, it's an oppressive world. It's a world without really hope, humanly speaking. But God has intervened in this world. He has sent John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of King Jesus. Uh, Jesus is God coming to rule his people as he promised in the Old Testament. And, 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 and God has sent John as his forerunner in fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah 40. And John, after waiting for 30 years, 30 years, that's a long time to wait. For 30 years he's been in the wilderness. Now God is sending him out to prepare the way for the coming of King Jesus. John has begun his ministry preaching in the wilderness, isn't it? He's saying, God our King is around the corner. He is coming to save us. Make a road of repentance to him. Prepare the way to him by truly repenting of your sins and being baptized. And of course, the King who is coming is the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we are in verse 7 to 14. Uh, uh, and John here is explaining to us why it's, why it's crucial for the people to welcome King Jesus. What is at stake if they don't welcome him when he starts his ministry and work? And he's also giving us in these verses more detail about the sort of repentance our King Jesus expects as a fitting welcome for him. What is the repentance that God wants? You need to know the answer to that, friend. If you are claiming to be a follower of Jesus, you need to know, what does a repentant life look like? And so Luke, when we step back and we look at verse 7 to 14, we see that Luke has included this sermon of John in his record to teach Theophilus, who is writing this record for, and ask two important truths. First, why we must welcome King Jesus. That's at the heart of this text. And secondly, how we should welcome King Jesus. Why we should welcome him and why, why we should welcome him and how we should welcome him in our lives. This one we are going to focus on the first one, the why question. In the evening we'll look at the how question. So let us look at the why just now. Why should we welcome King Jesus in our lives? Well, the answer John gives us, he actually gives us just, we can just look at those first three verses. Verse 7 to 9 and then verse 17 as well. Let me just read them, verse 7 to 9. John says, he's, he said therefore, he's preaching, he's, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God 
is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is led to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is John saying? John is saying to the crowd, we must welcome King Jesus to be safe from the wrath of God. This is why true repentance matters. It matters because it is the way we welcome Jesus. Why do we need to welcome Jesus? Well, we must welcome King Jesus to be safe from the wrath of God. That's really the key truth I want us to think about. We must welcome Jesus. The reason we must welcome him is to be safe from the wrath of God. So I want us to learn this truth just under two lessons, right, which are in your outline. First of all, let's look at the danger and then our response. The first truth is this. We are all facing danger from the wrath of God. John is clear in this passage. We are all facing danger from the wrath of God. A few years ago, I read a report in the Financial Times about a very popular American pastor with over 7 million TV viewers. And the Financial Times wanted to really interview him to understand a bit more about the church and really what is the secret of the success to his ministry. And so they went there and and the the Financial Times editor was the one doing the interview and he, he asked this man, how do you manage to keep sin and redemption out of your sermons? When these things are so central to the message of Christianity. You see, non-believers, as as foolish as sometimes Christians tend to think they are, right? This man could look at the man's sermon and he says, how do you do it? Well, do you know what the preacher said? The preacher said, look, I am a preacher's son, so I am an optimist. It's good to know, isn't it? But you have children, they'll grow up, and you have pastor, they'll grow up to be optimists. So he said, look, I am a preacher's son, so I am an optimist. And then he said this, it is not my aim to dwell on technicalities. I want to help people sleep at night. You know, that preacher's words are shameful. They're shameful words. And you know what is even more tragic? The tragedy is that many people, even in Bible-believing churches, do not want to hear about sin and judgment. They are like that preacher. We would rather people sleep well now and suffer God's wrath later. Oh, friends, that's not John the Baptist. That's not the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here John the Baptist is forerunner, the forerunner of Christ. He wants us to know we are in grave danger from God's wrath. Oh, friends, you need to ponder that. You need to be communicating that to your spouse. You need to be communicating that to your children. You need to communicate that to everyone you know. We are in danger from the wrath of God. Look at verse 7 to 9 again. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood or children of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. That's what at stake, the wrath of God. And then he said this, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is led to the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, a crowd of people have come to be baptized and and to John, and and we expect John the Baptist to welcome them without any questions. We expect them to be excited, that they are interested in in the coming of Christ. Instead, John is skeptical, isn't it, about them. He is not convinced that the people are being baptized for the right reasons. He believes some in this crowd, and they include Pharisees and Sadducees, but some in this crowd, and remember, unlike Matthew's account, this is the crowd, not merely the, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees, right? He believes some in the crowd, probably many of these crowds, have not truly repented from their sins. And John is concerned about that. He's concerned because unless these people truly repent, they won't be ready to welcome King Jesus. Because that's what verse 4 to 6 is getting at. They must make a road of repentance to Jesus. They must be ready by repenting of their sins. Now, if they are not genuinely repentant, 
If they're just taking boxes, if it's just a, you know, a swim they're taking, right? Well, it's all meaningless, isn't it? They are not ready to welcome Jesus. And if they are not going to welcome Jesus, they won't be saved from the wrath of God. Now, as I think about John the Baptist, I'm thinking to myself, if John the Baptist was alive today, I don't think he would survive being in a pulpit. I don't think John, I don't think John would survive here. John's message is tough. John will be cancelled in many pulpits. Because it's, it's not politically friendly. He's not, not, not a believer in expressive individualism. He, you know, he's, 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 not, he's, not a, he's, he's not using nice language. He's not pampering people. No, no, quite the opposite. John is calling people snacks. John dresses very poorly. And John is always obsessed with the wrath of God. But we need to understand, friends, that John is using strong and bold language. Why? Because he believes the word of God. He really does believe there is the wrath of God. And he really does believe this wrath of God is resting on sinners. He really does believe we are in danger of the wrath of God. Friends, what is this wrath that John is talking about? That the people are, are trying to flee from but they are not doing it genuinely. What is this wrath? Well, friends, the wrath of God is the unspeakable, righteous anger of fury and hatred of God against sin that leads Almighty God to punish all that opposes His holy nature. Friends, to be under the wrath of God is to have not part of God, God has no past, but to have all of God. In all his attributes. That is to say, in all his omniscience, in all his omnipotence, in all his presence, in all his wisdom, to have all of God turned against you with the single goal of punishing you for your sins against you. When we see this word wrath, we must understand that the wrath of God is not like our wrath. Our fury or anger is often an outburst. It's often irrational. I get angry because someone has wounded my pride. That's why you get angry at your children. You start shouting. You start, what, what's going on there? I think mostly it's because you, they're not doing what you want. And you're frustrated and you're angry. And that's the same thing with people around us. Friends, colleagues, people at church. That's understandable. We're humans, isn't it? People say things, do things, and we are wounded. But friends, we must understand the wrath of God is not like that. God is unchanging. What do I mean by that? It means God has no passions. There's no variation in God. He's not like us. You know, our God does not go through changes. It's not one thing today and another thing tomorrow. His divine nature is without passion. He's unchanging. That is to say, you cannot drive God crazy. You cannot force God to act in, in some way. You cannot make God in his divine nature suffer or become distressed in some way. God is self-sufficient and unchanging. That's the wrath of God, therefore, we're talking about. When God is wrathful, this is his right and necessary reaction of God to evil. It is who God is. He must react against sin. He must lash at it. He must, he must pronounce judgment and fury against it. Not because it's coming externally, but because God himself is holy. He's righteous. Friends, you must understand that the wrath of God is a holy wrath. And as we look at this passage, we see that John here gives us three, we can learn three reasons from John here why all who have not truly repented of their sins and have not worked, truly welcomed Jesus should be concerned about the holy wrath of God. In fact, even us as believers, we have every reason to be concerned because we, we need to know what God is like. 
three things here. They are there in your outline as subpoints. First, the wrath of God, friend, is frighteningly violent. Is frighteningly violent. Look at verse 9 there. Even now the axe is led to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. The image here is that the people of Israel are, are like a vineyard, I think. Not a forest, a vineyard. That's the image in Scripture, isn't it? And God is an inspecting tree surgeon, right? And he's armed with an axe of his wrath, ready to cut down any bad trees. To cut down anyone who does not truly repent of their sin and welcome King Jesus. Now, now, as I thought about this image of an axe, the image of an axe really that is ready to cut down the trees at the roots, is, it's there not to prune the trees, but to cut them down. And what this is getting at, it's meant to get across to us the frightening nature, the frightening violence, the sharpness of God's wrath against sinners. And it's getting across to us the helplessness that we have against God. John is saying, all sinners are helpless against the wrath of God. We are like trees standing before the tree surge. Trees cannot fight back. Yeah, you see that in the Lord of the Rings, but that's not real trees. Trees don't fight back. We, you and I, cannot stop the acts of God's wrath. We are helpless against the wrath of God. And the rest of the Bible agrees, doesn't it? Nahum 1, verse 2 to 6, it says this. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. That's Nahum 1, verse 2. And then verse 6 says this. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. Do you see that imagery again? And the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Oh, friends, the writer to the Hebrews poses that question, makes that point, doesn't he? In Hebrews 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A, a frightening thing. The point here, friends, is that we are too small. That's what John the Baptist is saying. You are too small for the wrath of God. You are like a tree standing before the tree surgeon, completely helpless against the frightening violence of God. And it raises the question, doesn't it, immediately to us. If we are processing the word of God, if we are taking this in, we should immediately ask ourselves, why is God so full of violent wrath against sin? Why is he like that? Well, the answer is because our God is holy and just. And I just want to say this morning, if that feels uncomfortable, you should know that all of us here, including yourself, deep down your heart, you agree it's a good thing that God is full of wrath and judgment. Why do I say that? Well, because we see what powerful people who are ungodly do with the human power. They are abusive. They, are, they, they, they abuse it. But our God is not like that. God stands against sin and that's good for us. Because it reminds us that God himself is holy and just. Oh friends, I ask you this morning, do you really want a God who tolerates sin? Do you want a God sitting on such infinite power who you can't trust? Do you want a God sitting under such infinite power who, 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 who just does whimsically without any holiness in him? No, you want a holy God, a perfect God, a good God. You want the God of the Bible. You want the God of the Bible. Every human being does. In our hearts of hearts, all of us want God's fury against sin. We want God to use all of his mighty power to punish evildoers because we long for ultimate justice. Oh, friends, ask yourself this. 
If God won't punish sinners who reject him, what do we say to the seven babies murdered in cold blood and robbed of their future by, by that nurse, nurse Lucy Letby at Countess of Chester Hospital? What do we say to them? What are we to say to countless Israeli women publicly violated and then killed by Amos on October 7? If the Bible is not true, what do we say to them? If there is no God full of wrath and vengeance against sinners, one who is holy and pure, what do we say to them? If the Bible is not true, if God never punishes sinners, then all the injustice, including the suffering, the injustice you have suffered, is a pointless joke. A pointless joke. If there is no God who holds sinners to account, your suffering is pointless. Do you see, friends? Without a God who is wrathful against sinners, who reject him, we have no hope of ultimate justice. We are left with nowhere to turn. Friends, we desperately, friends, we desperately need God to be wrathful against sinners. And praise God, the one true God of the Bible is full of violent wrath against sinners. Now the question for each one of us here this morning is this, are you safe from the wrath of God? You agree it is good, God is like that, against sinners. So ask yourself, are you personally safe from the violent wrath of God against sinners? Are you confident as you sit this morning that you have truly escaped the wrath of God? You need to urgently make sure you're truly safe from the danger of the wrath of God. Because friends, it is not only a frightening, violent wrath, it is also an imminent wrath. Look at verse 9. Even now, John the Baptist says, Luke chapter 3, verse 9, Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You know, I've been pondering this verse. On the one hand, it seems the axe is lying down. First sentence. The next sentence, notice the acts is in present tense. Is at work. It doesn't say will cut down. It's cut down. And you're wrestling with this verse. What is John saying? I think this is what I've come up to. John is saying the acts of God's wrath will strike at any moment. And it's as good as having struck. Indeed, it is striking. God is going to punish sinners and he is punishing them. He is throwing sinners in hell now to suffer the wrath of God to come. Suffering in hell and more suffering to come. We know the fire in verse 9 is the wrath of God in hell because John the Baptist uses it again in verse 17. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, he says this. His winnowing fork, verse 17, is in his hands to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat people into his burn. Those who have repented, but the chaff, the unrepentant sinners, you will burn with unquenchable fire. The Lord Jesus himself later uses the same image again of, of throwing sinners into hell, isn't it? Luke 12, verse 4 to 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him after he has killed, who after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear him. And of course, we know Luke's stain, isn't it? Lazarus and the rich man. All these teachings in Luke, and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be coming back to this theme throughout Luke. It's a central theme, the wrath of God in Luke, right? And Luke, what Luke is teaching us is that all refuse to repent and welcome King Jesus are in danger of the imminent wrath of God. They will die and go to hell. That's the point he's making. Now we need to understand, friends, when we think of this image of fire here, and Jude, of course, talks about the blackness of darkness that has been reserved forever, we must understand that these images are not intended to give us the full 
understanding of the wrath of God in hell to sinners. That is imminent on anyone who dies who goes straight into it if they haven't repented. These images of fire and blackness and darkness, the worm that never dies, these images we find in Scripture, they are intended to describe something beyond our words and imagination. They are meant to make us sit up and take in what is at stake. Friends, whatever you and I imagine hell to be, it is infinitely much worse than that. It is worse than all the torture chambers of human history put together. And most importantly, John is reminding us here that you don't know when God may cut down your life. It's down to the tree surgeon. You don't know when God will cut down your life and send you to hell to suffer for your sin. Death, oh friend, death can come at any moment. Death can come to an infant a few weeks old in the womb and death could come to the aged. It's imminent for all of us, friends. Could be today, could be this afternoon, could be next month. And we see people, of course, die all the time. But what happens is that we, we see death and we just carry on, don't we? Isn't it amazing? We, we read about deaths everywhere. And, and there's a part of us that makes us think, that's them, isn't it? That's them. Oh, friends, what a foolish way to think and live. Oh, friends, you don't know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? Asks the Apostle James, and this verse was preached on. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You are but a breath, friend. You are but a breath. And the Bible is warning us here. And when you die, if you have not truly repented of your sin, you face the full violent wrath of God in hell. The acts of God is ready to swing against you. And so I ask you again, are you saved from the wrath of God that is coming any moment? If death knocked on your door today, will you escape the wrath of God or will you suffer it in hell? I know we are living in a skeptical age, aren't we? We are living in days when we do not trust authorities when we hear many false and empty warnings in our lives. There is scaremongering on TV and social media all the time. When COVID came, we were told, get vaccinated or the world will end. Well, it didn't, did it? And I didn't get vaccinated, I'm just saying, right? And it didn't end. No, long ago we were told Putin will conquer Europe. Today we are being told to fear climate change. Truth, friends, what I'm getting at is this. Truth is in short supply. That's the point I'm making. Truth is in short supply. So it's not a surprise, friends, that as we preach the word of God, as we declare it, and when people hear it, when they hear the warnings of John from the word of God, when they hear it, it doesn't move their hearts. As you sit here, this truth isn't moving your heart as it should. Why? Because you are swimming in a culture that has taught you to reject authority. A culture that makes you skeptical even of the word of God that you may profess with your mouth. You won't allow it to move you, to change it. I'm speaking to Christians here. Because that's a culture you're swimming in. Friends, open your heart. Open your heart to the word of God. The word of God is saying to you this morning, young and old, hell is not empty. This is not the word of a corrupt government. This is not some human truth. This is not a word of paid for scientists. This is the sure living word of God who created you and loves you and he has no desire to see you perish in hell. God has brought you here this morning because he wants you to be safe from the violent and imminent wrath of God in hell. He wants you to understand, friends, that hell was not created for human beings. It wasn't. Hell was created by God for the devil and his angels.
has its original design. And that is to say, there is no place that compares to hell. It is a place without any enjoyment of the presence of God. Now you must understand when I say that. I am not saying God is not in hell. God is omnipresent. You want to escape from his presence even in hell. The point is that God's presence in hell is wrathful to sinners. All the wonderful and comforting attributes of God we read about in the Bible, which sense in heaven uh, delighting in hell, they are turned upside down against people who are there. The infinite justice of God I was talking about is against sinners in hell. God refuses to remove their guilt. His justice guarantees that they must be kept there and be punished forever. The infinite holiness of God is against sinners in hell. When God looks at them, he hates them with perfect hatred. Yes, God hates sinners. He hates them with perfect hatred. His holiness constrains God's love in hell. The infinite power of God, friend, is against them in hell. They once benefited from his power in this world. It is the power of God that held their life together in this world. But now in hell, oh God's almighty power is sustaining them. Not for their good, but for their torment. For all eternity. No escape of his wrath. Not for a single moment. The wrath of God on them is forever. Never ending. Every moment there is no escape. Just waves and waves of his punishment. Waves and waves of conscience torment. And I flag that up because it is the third reason John really gives us here. Why we need to be concerned about the wrath of God. Because it's not only violent and imminent. It is never ending, isn't it? Look at verse 9 and then 17. Look at verse 9. Even now the axe is led to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Final. John is implying the wrath of God in hell will be the final experience of sinners. Unless we have any doubts about that, it tells us later in verse 17. Speaking of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will burn with what? Unquenchable fire. I've been thinking about this. And I've thought to myself, I have experienced physical and emotional pain in my life that I've cried on my bed. Literally cried. Constant pain. But I've always known it will end. I've always known there's a heaven waiting for me. I cannot imagine the physical pain of endless suffering. The emotional void of hurting without anyone to comfort you. You know there is no escape. And to suffer like that, knowing that fully that you have done that to yourself, and then you wish to turn back the clock, but it's too late. The horror of what Luke is teaching us here through the words of John, and later on through the words of the Lord Jesus, is impossible to come to terms with. And it's so tempting, friends, for us to just shut our ears and not forget it. And and forget it. That would be a mistake for yourself. And it's a mistake for the people you love. Because if they don't know Jesus, this is reality for them. God gave John this message because he wants us to know the serious danger. We are facing and he wants us to be safe from it. And there's only one way for us to be truly safe from the wrath of God. And that's our second point. To be safe, we must welcome Jesus. 
We must welcome King Jesus to be safe from the danger of God's wrath. So we are all facing danger from the wrath of God. How then shall we escape? How will you escape? Well, you must welcome Jesus. The good news of John, and it is good news, is that we can escape the violent, imminent, and never-ending wrath of God. And we do that by repenting of our sins and welcoming King Jesus. For those people at John's time, it is anticipating the coming of Jesus. For us today, it is looking back to what Christ has accomplished, repenting of our sins, and trusting in Him. Look at verse 7 to 9 again. They say it particularly, I would say. Bear fruits, he says, in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Do not rely on externals. He says, for I tell you, God has power. He is able from these stones to raise children for Abraham. We'll look at that closely again this evening. But here is what John is saying, essentially. The axe of God's judgment is ready to strike. It is resting on your souls. But you can flee this wrath of God by truly welcoming King Jesus. By making a road of repentance to him. Not simply ticking box, but a true repentance. A true change. A repentance that changes direction, resulting in a change in life. You have a choice, says John. You can choose to remain on the path to hell. Or you can humble yourself, truly repent of your sin, and submit to the lordship of Jesus. That is evidenced by a changed Life. It's so important you understand that. No mere words, friends, but a changed life. And there is no middle ground, John is saying. There is no half in or half out of the kingdom of God. You can either bow your knees to the king or you must suffer the wrath of the king. It's so important you understand that the, the wrath of God here is coming through the fiat of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Jesus. Look at verse 17. It is Jesus Who's bringing judgment? How does then welcoming King Jesus saves us from God's wrath? Well, John doesn't tell us, but as we read on and look, we see that Jesus came to suffer God's wrath. That's the gospel. In my place, condemned, he stood. Christ suffered in your place on the cross. You know, there is a story. I've told you before, the father and son who are walking across farm fields during a very dry season. I never stop thinking about this story. And the father and son, they are walking across these farm fields, and it's a dry season, as I've said. And as they look in the distance, they see a massive wall of fires steadily moving towards them. It's being carried on, isn't it, by the wind. And of course they do what everyone would do. They try and run. But they quickly realize the fire is faster than them. And so what are they going to do now? What are they going to do? Well, they stop running. The boy buries his face in the father's side. But just before the fire reaches them, just before the fire reaches them, the father puts his hand in his pocket and he grabs out a packet of matches. And then he lights a small fire, as it were. He lights a small fire behind them, right? So that the whole place now behind them is being burnt. And now as this massive wall of fire comes, gets closer to them, the dad then, what does the dad do? The dad scoops his son and then he gently steps backwards behind him into the ashes of the fire that he just burnt. And when the war of this fire then reaches them, what happens? Nothing. It has nothing. It has nothing to fuel itself. Because the, the father and son are standing in the remains of the other fire. And so father and son are safe. Why do I like that? Because the point of the story is obvious. If you and I want to be truly safe from the fire of God's judgment... We must stand in a place where the fire of God's judgment has already burned. In life, there is only one place where we can be truly saved from the fire of God's wrath. Where has the fire of God already burned? It has burned on the cross of Christ. 
Friends, the wrath of God is powerful and just. It cannot be withdrawn. The fact that we die is proof that God is serious about his wrath, as Ray Comfort likes to say. The fire of God burns on all sinners. But the good news of Jesus is that Jesus stepped in the fire for us to take the full weight of God's wrath. He placed his body in between us and God's wrath. You see, as I, you see most people know our Lord Jesus died on the cross, don't they? They know that. All of us here know that. What we forget is why Jesus did what he did. Why Jesus was dying on that cross. Well, Jesus was dying because he was being punished by God for our sin. When he was on the cross, God poured on Jesus the full wrath and judgment for your sin. Instead of God letting his wrath visit you, Jesus, God the Son, gave himself up as a sacrifice that absorbed the wrath of God headed for you. And this is why, friends, when Jesus was dying for, oh, during those three hours, the, the, the earth was blackened because it symbolized the judgment of God. And, and in the depth of that darkness, our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ cried out, isn't it? It is finished. What was finished? He meant he had paid the full payment of our sin so that we can be safe from the wrath of God. It meant the fire of God's wrath I'd already burned on the cross. Are you safe from the wrath of God? Have you truly welcomed the Lord Jesus as your king? Have you found safety where the fire of God has already burned? Have you looked at your sin and cried out to Jesus to bear the wrath of God for you? And are you seeing evidence of this changed life? We'll talk about that this morning. Is there evidence that you have genuinely done that? Is there a fruit to show for it? The fruits don't save us, but they show that we have truly surrendered to him. We have new affections. A truly repentant heart is a changed heart that results in a changed life. Does that describe you? But if you have not really repented, friends, if you have not really grasped the gospel until today, if you have truly not let that sink in water until this moment, well, come now, friend. Let the blood of Jesus speak for you. Do it today. Go to him now. Accept your sinner. And ask our Lord to save you from the wrath of God. Give yourself wholeheartedly, oh, friend. It will do you no good to merely take the box. It will do you no good at all. Your repentance in Him must be genuine. It must come with a new heart. It must come with new affections to live for Him at all costs. Not, not bowing on Christ on one knee, but both knees, as I like to say. Be genuine. Repent and come to Him. Let Him save you from the wrath of God. Only God can save you from God. And Jesus is a fitting savior because he is the second member of the Trinity. And he has borne the wrath of God. Oh friend, the biggest problem in your life is not people around you. Your biggest problem in your life is God. God is angry at you for your sin. And you must repent and surrender yourself through Jesus Christ. What about those of us who are already trusting in Jesus. I'm conscious time has gone, but I, I can't really leave you there, so let me be quick. I'll run through this quickly. What does this mean for us? Well, simply as he says on the outline there, if we're trusting in Jesus, keep on welcoming King Jesus every day. We have been saved. We, are, we have been saved. We are being saved, and we will be saved. So keep on welcoming. Oh, friend, don't slow down. Sin is serious. Keep on welcoming Jesus. How do you do it? Well, do those three things I've written there. Keep on thanking Jesus. Isn't it? Keep on thanking Jesus. Tell Jesus every day just how thankful you are for saving you, for keeping you from God's wrath. Live before our saving king with heartfelt gratitude. We've been talking about that in the Bible studies, haven't we? 
Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Our brother Fred so ably taught us last Wednesday, didn't he? Where does that come from? It comes from this gratitude, isn't it? Of knowing that Christ bore for me the very fire of God on Golgotha. Thank you. Mamalis is right. You have every reason to rejoice. No matter what's going on in your life. Yes, it's time for weeping. We are weeping now, aren't we? But even in our weeping, we have this quiet contentment in God. We can rejoice even in the deepest suffering because we know we are saved from the wrath of God and we are saved not because we are good but because He is good. We are saved by His grace. Secondly, quickly, keep on repenting. So keep on thanking, keep on repenting. You know, our children show how grateful they are for the sacrifices we make for them by being obedient to us. If you're not being obedient to your parents, you're simply saying you don't care for all the sacrifices they've made. If you're being obedient to them, it brings joy to the parents, doesn't it? Because we know that you understand the sacrifices made for you. We're in the same way. We show our thanks to our Heavenly Father. We show our thanks to King Jesus who reigns over us. Uh, who has saved us from the wrath of God by putting every sin, friend, every sin to death. Every sin that easily clings on to us by hugging it, as it were. Doing a hugger to it, cutting it in pieces. So this morning, resolve today, friend, to, 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 to daily grab all of the acts of God's judgment, God's word, as it were. To, to, to cut down the tree of sins in your life through true repentance. Start now. Don't wait. Start now. Right now. Is there a sin you're tolerating at the moment? Are you doing something God is not happy with? Bring it now before God. Oh, friends, what is at stake is infinitely huge. Cut it down now, whatever it is. Relationship problems, things you're not supposed to be looking at. Anger and forgiveness, bitterness, root it up. Bring it before God. Cut it down with the living word of God. Laziness and wasting time, coming to church late, all these things that don't honor God, bring them before him and cut it down with the word of God. Be radical about dealing with sins in your life. Don't let sin entangle you. It will sink you into hell. I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but you accumulate so many sins. You, you lack affection for God. That's a person who hasn't truly been converted, I can tell you that. Be serious. I need to be serious. The elder needs to be serious. All of us in this church, regardless of who we are, we must take sin seriously. Finally, and I'll end. I promise I'm normally done by now. If you're here for the first time, I'm normally done. By the third point, right? Keep on sharing Jesus with people around you, right? Keep on sharing Jesus with people around you. And do it with boldness and agency like John the Baptist. Because the wrath of God is very real, isn't it? Well, we can say more about that, can't we? About the wrath of God. And and now John is preaching it, Right? But the point I want you to take away is that John is serious about it. We saw during COVID-19, isn't it, that doctors who thought they had found the treatment for COVID did everything they could, isn't it, to tell the world. Even when they were censored, some even lost their jobs. Why did they do that? Well, because it was serious. They really believed this. Well, I just want to say, friends, your family, friends, neighbors, and colleagues, they are infected with something even more terrible than COVID. It's called sin. And it is sending them to hell. And you know as you sit here this morning that Jesus is our only cure. And so I just ask you as I I draw to an end, how can you sit and let them suffer forever without sharing this medicine? If you believe a single word we have heard from the word of God, how can you just sit there? Allow them to plunge into hell. Please, take them to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you can force them. You cannot force them to, to surrender to Jesus. Only Jesus serves, right? But you have a moral obligation to tell them the cure and to live in such a way that it makes Jesus attractive 
to them. I'm a Calvinist. God is always going to serve those he wants. But friends, what does he say about me if I see my friend, if I see people going to hell and I'm not bothered about it? I worry about that. He's suggesting that I'm backsliding into hell. And that is serious. And so I ask you, friend, to search your heart. If you're a true child of God, if you have truly welcomed our King, I beg you to ask God to help you start sharing Jesus boldly with people around you. Start this week. Start today. Is there someone who needs to be saved from hell? That you don't. We all do, right? Set aside one hour. Let's start there. Set aside one hour in the evening just to pray to God to serve them. Do that every week. One hour a week just to pray for that person. Do you have a neighbor who does not know Jesus? Friends, are you serious about hell or not? If you have a neighbor who does not know Jesus, invite them into your home for lunch or coffee. Start building a relationship to share Jesus. If you believe the word of God this morning about the reality of hell, it's frightening, imminent, and never-ending danger, then you will do that. If you don't believe, then this is just another sermon. Is it long since you invited someone to attend church so that they can hear the good news of Jesus that saves them from hell? Next Sunday is around the corner. Pastor Glenn, Hannah will be preaching here. Invite them. Invite them. John the Baptist has told us that all human beings are facing the danger of the imminent and violent and never-ending wrath of God. And we need to escape it. And the good news of Jesus is that we can escape it. And we do that by surrendering our lives to Jesus. And if we have already surrendered to Jesus, then friends, let us keep on thanking Him. Keep on repenting. And keep on sharing Jesus. Amen.